it's a proud moment because it's, it's something that we can all hold on to. It's something that we can see and say, wow, look, when I'm a 15-year-old kid and everyone's saying you can't do that, when I look back and say, there's a million pounds there, there's someone's given me because they believe in me. That's a massive, massive, massive deal, you know? And it's not just a million pounds. It's 100 grand. It's 50 grand. It's 10 grand. It's, it's your first 100 pounds in business. Someone is giving you that because they believe in you. So you've got to be proud of that and you've got to hold on to that. In a time plagued by groupthink, a tribe known as the Millionites have emerged from the depths of time to alter our trajectory for the betterment of humanity. These are their chronicles. Welcome to our community, where every single week we'll study the craft of some of the most successful entrepreneurial leaders in their given area of expertise. We'll take a trip down memory lane, long before the millions, to uncover their secrets to success and how they've achieved their goals. By doing this, we can fast track our way to success and live the life we've always dreamt of. So, whether you are looking to attain financial freedom, location independence, or reaching the millionth mark of your milestones and more, then you've come to the right place. Stick around to find out what works, what doesn't, and how you can reach your millions. If you would like instant access to our back catalog, visit us at beforethemillions.com. And now, your host, DeRay Olaleye. Welcome to another episode of the BTM Podcast. I'm your host, DeRay Olaleye, coming to you live from Houston, Texas this week. And I actually just finished the book, Black Privilege by Charlemagne. And I also finished Outwitting the Devil by Napoleon Hill. So I've been a bit busy reading, but two of my good friends are getting married in August. And I was honored or tasked with the job of doing their engagement shoot. And no, I'm no photographer. I have a camera and I like to take pictures when I travel. But every once in a while, I'll do a gig now and then just to help out my friends. I tend to turn people down who I don't know because I'd rather focus that time on on growing my businesses. But I was able to do this for my friends and the pictures came out amazing. So yeah, that was really fun. So let's get right into it. We are back for episode, what is this, episode eight? Man, time is just flying. And I'm super excited to have you. If this is your first time tuning in, then welcome to our wonderful community. We interview highly successful entrepreneurs from all around the world, and we literally learn the blueprint to their success so that we may mimic their successes in our businesses and our lives. And I think that we've created such a culture. We've created such a, a classroom, a study, a platform in which, you know, you this is, you know, and I'm, I'm stealing this quote from one of my favorite podcasts, Tropical MBA, but this is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next flight. Load up your iPhone, load up your Android with all these episodes and get the knowledge that you need to take your business to the next step, to take your investing to the next step, to take your mindset to the next level. I like to start by saying, if you haven't listened to any of the previous episodes, please go back and listen to them. They have been nothing but spectacular. The feedback has been amazing. We've been climbing the charts so rapidly. We're being played in over 200 countries, every single state. We are being played everywhere. And it's been beautiful. So today on the show, we have Mark Asquit. He is a marketing mogul. He subscribes to the mantra, fake it till you make it. Now, really quick, if you haven't already picked up my brand new free ebook, 
Get paid to live for free by investing in real estate. Please go do so now at forthemillions.com slash book. It's a crazy, insightful book. And if you'd like to get your hands on a copy, please email us or visit beforethemillions.com slash book. I think that's all we have for housekeeping today. So let's jump right into the show. Deuce. We recommend only the best books on this show. With that being said, we can understand the urge to read the last book you've heard an entrepreneur get excited about. Well, guess what? You can go read it right now. We've partnered with Audible, an Amazon company that produces high-quality audiobooks. Together, we are offering, and for free, a 30-day trial and one free book as soon as you sign up. So, if you've been eyeing a certain book but haven't quite been able to pull the trigger yet, we'd love to cover the cost for you. Just visit audibletrial.com slash before the millions to start reading or listening to your next free book. The link is also in the show notes of this episode at beforethemillions.com. Today, I'd like to welcome Mark Asquith to the show. Hey, Mark, how's it going? Pretty good, thanks. Pretty good. That's one of the most interesting pronunciations of my name. <laughs> I get all sorts. I get all sorts. <laughs> How close was I? Asquith. Yeah, that's actually, that's it. I've had all sorts. Everything from, because obviously if you put the words ass and quiff together, you get almost my name. So that's why I used to get picked on as a kid with, with that one. So that was, I was always like, thanks, Dad, for the name. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, hopefully I didn't, I didn't butcher it too bad, Mark. And, and no, you didn't. I just wanted to let you know that it, it's a pleasure to have you on the show, Mark. Mark is the founder of Excellence Expected, the founder of design, brand, and web agency Hacksaw, and the host of WordPress service podcast websites. I personally use that service myself, so I'm excited. As well as being a keynote speaker, Mark also helps business owners navigate their lives and optimize their results using his unique mix of experience and straight talking. Mark, <laughs> that's quite a resume. What do you have to say for yourself? Yeah, sorry, Mum. I didn't get a job. That's the, uh, the easiest thing. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's a, it's a funny one, isn't it? I was, I do do a lot. You know, we were talking in the in the pre-interview chat. It sounds like I do a lot, but actually, that's built up from what am I now? I'm thirty-five now. Ugh, thirty-five now. That's disgusting. I'm thirty-five, and you know, I've been I've been self-employed. I don't like to call myself an entrepreneur because I'm not. I just I just do what I enjoy doing. But I I've been self-employed since I was. 22-ish. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that's why, you know, I've, I've got quite a long history of, of doing various things. You know, I was a contractor. I've, I've worked for, like, the MOD. I've worked for Ministry of Defense, for anyone listening that doesn't know what that is. I've worked for some of the big banks in the UK. I've worked all over the place on a freelance basis. So since, certainly for the last 10 years, I've been running my own businesses. So that's why it sounds like I do a lot. But actually, you know, I've built the design agency up and we've got a team that works there. So, you know, I'm, I'm very light touch on that at the minute, which I hate saying the word light touch makes me want to kill myself. But, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm pretty much on the board of that. And yeah, you know, okay. podcast websites is a is a pretty new thing. So, yeah, it sounds like I do a lot, but actually I don't do too much. <laughs> OK, OK. Well, hey, we're going to find out all of that. We're going to work our way up to that. I just I just want to maybe start from from younger Mark, start from young entrepreneurial Mark and see how how you've been able to build this empire for yourself, so to speak. So. Maybe take us back. Take us back in the time machine. Let's get to know Mark Asquith a little bit better. When did you first begin your journey? When did you when did you first turn the switch on? And and we'll work our way up to Mark to present day and kind of work our way up to your before the millions milestone, which is 
1 million pounds in revenue. And I think you hit that quite a few years ago. So we'll work our way up to that point. So let's start, let's start from young Mark and kind of when did you hit that entrepreneurial, I guess, shift or when did you get that bug? How did this all begin? Yeah, it's a funny one, but basically I was, I was annoyed by not feeling fulfilled. Like I, so I come from this little weird, weird little place called Barnsley in the north of England, where really you're only told that you can do a certain thing. You know, you really can only do a certain thing. You can, you know, previously you used to be able to work down the mines. Now, you know, it's get an office job or whatever. Like they're the scene as, as, as the, the ultimate goal, you know, just getting a job and, and, and doing kind of what everyone else said. And I remember once, it was a long time ago, I talked to my gran. She's great. She's, you know, she's like one of my best friends. We, we talk about a heck of a lot of stuff. And she, she's always really super kind of non-judgmental. Like she tells me how it is, but she's never judges. So I can go to her with any problems. And I remember saying a few years ago, I just hate my job. You know, this is when I was 21, 22. And she said, yeah, but no one likes the job. You just do it to pay the bills. And I was like, what? <laughs> that's crazy. Why are you, what are you talking about, Grandma? That's, that's, not, that's not like you. And it spoke to this idea that, you know, that, that, that her generation, I mean, she's 86, 87 now. Her generation very much did that. And it didn't make much sense for me to do that. And I, I, I couldn't figure out why I didn't like the job. And I really struggled with it. I thought, what's wrong with me? I, you know, I keep switching jobs every couple of years. Why don't I like it? And then I figured it out. I'm pretty much unemployable. I don't like having a boss. I don't like being accountable to people that I don't have anything in common with. If I'm going to be accountable to people, I want to do it with partners. I want to do it with friends. I want to do it with people that I really have a big, you know, ethical and moral and, and ambitious alignment with. And I didn't have that because I was just working for someone. It was, it was terrible. So... I quit doing that. that. That's when the light came on. I quit doing that. And I was lucky because I managed to, I went to work with my dad. He's an electrician. I went to just labor for him, basically, you know, do a bit of laboring work, do a little bit of fetching and carrying, managed to spend a few months with him learning about electrics. So my house is wired in a very interesting way. And <laughs> it, it just, that just showed me that. And my dad's always done this. He's always been a sparky. And he's always worked his backside off. And he always, it made me see that he always worked, but he only worked on the things that he enjoyed doing. He loves his job to this day. Self-employed, he's been self-employed since he left the mining industry years and years and years ago. And it made me see that actually you can do what you want to do and still earn money. So whilst I was doing that, as I said, this big switch came on. And there were two things that happened. One, I managed, while I was working with him, I managed to save up more money for a holiday, for a vacation than I'd ever been able to do in a much quicker time frame than I'd ever done it whilst I was working for him. And I'd, I wasn't earning really that much more than I was previously, but I was, for some reason, I was more motivated to, to do it because I was doing it in a way that I enjoyed. And then the second thing that happened was I realized that you could probably blag your way into things because everyone always said, you know, well, you've got to get experience. And frankly, to get my first ever job, my first ever contract, so I did a freelance, a lot of freelance work after I uh, stopped working with my dad. And that was my first taste of, you know, quote unquote, self-employment. I blagged my way into the job. I lied, straight out, flat lied. <laughs> and I just, someone phoned me up, said, can you do this kind of work? I was like, yeah, of course I can. <laughs> and I couldn't. <laughs> and it was funny because I didn't realize that I'd said yes to something and then learned how to do it afterwards. And it was only like five years later, I read the Richard Branson quote who famously he says, say yes to something and then learn how to do it later. I was like, oh, okay, me and Richard are on the same wavelength. I mean, 
you know, he's found above me intellectually and successfully, but at least I had that kind of mindset. So I get this job training people on digital systems, working for the National Health Service, for the MOD, all sorts of places. And I took my first wage, my first, it wasn't a wage because it was, it was self-employment, it was a contract. I invoiced them for the work, got the, the payment in, and I reinvested that first payment in a training course to learn how to do what I said I could do. And they were none the wiser. I just learned it. I just learned it within a week, spent a grand on it. And that was, you know, I earned 150, 200 grand from that. And it was, that just made me think like, wow, okay, this is pretty easy. And then I've been completely winging it ever since. Mark, that's fascinating. That's, that's truly fascinating, man. Let's dig into that a little bit. So how did you stumble upon this opportunity? And I kind of want to highlight on this because, I, you know, most people wait for opportunity to come to them, but I'm sure you didn't wait on this. I'm sure you were in the right place at the right time. I'm sure there was some consistency involved. So how did this come about? Oh, no, let's be totally clear. It was total potluck. But the thing is, opportunity is going to come your way and, and, and serendipity will, will knock on your door. Things will happen. And I'm sure there's, I know there's someone famous that said this, but I forget who it was. The key thing is, is spotting the opportunity and being prepared to act. Because I could have said, well, no, I don't do this kind of work. I don't do this kind of work. But I knew, so that, to put this into context, it was training. So I had to stand up in front of people and train other people on a system that I was going to learn. So let's break the components down. I knew that I had to go into a place that I'd never been before. I had to learn a system. And then a week later, I had to go away and I had to train other people on this system. Now, there were different components to that, and this is how my brain works. One, I got to stand up in front of people and train. Well, that's fine. I was in a band. I used to stand up in front of people all the time and sing and be terrible at it. So I can take being in front of people. So that's one thing done. Yeah, I'm sure I could do that. And I'd done a tiny bit of training internally at my last job. So that's that's a check in a box. Number two, I had to go in and learn a system. Well, I've used computers up until this point for a long, long time. I was the most digital savvy person at my last full-time employment so I, I knew i could learn something i knew i could learn a system easy and then all i had to do was teach these people how to do it well i'm a pretty good communicator like i'm all right at talking i'm all right at delivering i'm pretty good at simplifying complex things so yeah fine so no i didn't do that job but break the components down and you know my brain it sort of did this really quickly while I was on the phone. In between them saying, can you do this? And me saying, yes, I'd gone through that process. And I just said, yeah, of course I can. So this is the thing. Serendipity will knock on your door. The opportunity lies in being prepared to take it. And remember, nothing's a risk. You always go back to what you were doing. Nothing's a risk. You can always just do what you were doing previously. And that's an important thing to learn is that serendipity will come at you. You've got to decide whether you, you, you want to sort of take it. Okay. So Mark, how did they approach you? How did they know to approach you? So they knew to approach me basically. I put my CV out saying I previously worked in a situation where I used IT. And that was it. Okay. Nothing more than that. They just trolled. I mean, I think they were struggling to fill the position, if I'm totally honest with you, because they couldn't find someone willing to do it. And it wasn't a hard job. It wasn't a bad job. It's just they couldn't find the right mix of skills. So that's why, really. Okay. So you stumble upon this fascinating opportunity and something just tells you to go for it and you go for it and it ends up working out. You turn out to be successful and you're able to complete the job. And is this the, the aha moment or the pivotal moment to where you're like, hey, I just made 250,000 pounds. I can repeat this process. 
So let me find a way to repeat this process. What were your next thoughts and actions immediately after, after this task? So that wasn't quite the case because I, I was freelance contract at this point. So I would go in, deliver a piece of work and invoice for that work. So I'd made over the course of, bear in mind I'm 22, 23. I'm earning maybe, maybe invoicing 15 grand a month at this point. And what that really struck me with, like this is not a repeatable business model because it's not scalable. It's me selling my time. What that showed me was that actually this isn't scalable. Yeah, sure, I can make a limited amount of money. And it's good money. It's good money. I could live on 100, 150, 200 grand a year forever and have a really good life. But it, it, that showed me that it wasn't scalable because I still had to deliver the work. And now I don't mind delivering the work, but how do you deliver the next piece? Or how do you deliver two pieces or three pieces? How do you make more? How do you scale? And then the second thing that it taught me was that actually I was working for people as opposed to with people because I was still turning up, delivering something and getting paid for it. And... I didn't have a team around me. There was nothing that, you know, I was pretty isolated. So actually, it wasn't repeatable in my mind. Sure, you know, logistically, it was repeatable. I could have just carried on doing those kind of contracts for the rest of my life. But actually, it showed me that I needed something that was repeatable, that was scalable, that was interesting to me, that allowed me to build a team of the people that resonate with me around me. So that's why I actually stopped doing it. And I did it for two years, two and a half years. And I earned, you know, I earned in that time, what, 250, maybe touching 300 grand-ish, if you add it all up. Nice. But then I stopped doing it. It was all right. It was, you know, it was all right. And, and, but I stopped doing it. And, you know, I'm 23, 24 at the time. And instead, I set up this creative agency, this digital agency, take a massive pay cut. Bear in mind, we're bootstrapping it. We've got no money. And suddenly stop earning that money. But I feel better. Okay. Because I'm doing something that I love doing. So, Mark, you realize that you need to find a scalable business. So when you stopped and, and you thought about that, you know, you, you're two years in and you're like, hey, like, I need to find something scalable and, you know, something that doesn't require me to, I guess, go out and see, you know, new clients, which, I mean, I think every business that, that you're still in kind of does, but it's a little bit more automated. So what was your first business immediately after that? And how did that come about? How did you start building your team? And you know, kind of walk us through that process. Yeah, absolutely. So my first business was a, a design agency called the Design Loft, which failed. I'd save 20 grand to go and do this, paid off everything that I wanted to pay off, give myself a clean slate, and really just gone to the point where I could set myself up this design agency. And the, the, the background was that I used to be in a band when I was a kid. And I, I wanted a website building for this band. And someone said to me, I'm going to charge you for it. I said, well, wait a second. I can probably learn how to do this myself. So I'm going to set this design agency up because I have learned how to do this myself. So then I set this business up and actually all I do is copy what other people are doing. Try and copy their method, their model. doesn't work for me. I fail, completely fall on my ass. goes totally wrong after about nine months because I'm trying to copy what other people are doing. So that's a big lesson is that you can't copy what other people are doing. You, you know, someone that's, that's doing something similar to you but in a different way to what works for you is only going to result in failure for you. So yeah, that, that's when I really decided to actually quit. I was going to bail and I was going to go back to this, this, this other job that, or this other kind of version of self-employment that was paying 150, 200K a year in contracts. And a friend of mine called Don Gent and, and another friend of mine called Mark Wilmot stopped me. They said, well, why don't we set a little mini agency up? Similar to what you've been doing, but we could probably work well together. 
So we gave that a whirl, and that has become what is now Hacksaw. You know, five, six, seven, well, probably ten years later, actually, that's become Hacksaw, which is the agency. And that was my next move. It was it was building a small team of people with these guys and finding good quality contracts locally and regionally that we could service really, really well. You know, this wasn't a product. It was still very much service-oriented. It's, it's only much later, you know, the last three or four years that I've gone into products. So, yeah, that was my next move after after the contract work, really. Can you describe briefly what Hacksaw does? Yeah, so we're a brand and digital agency. So we help launch and relaunch brands. We work with everyone from Adobe down to the local plumbers. And we've we've launched and relaunched brands all over the world. And we also create digital solutions. So we'll build platforms for businesses. You know, we'll, we'll take ideas from a business where they, the business believes they can solve a problem for their audience. And we'll build digital products to help facilitate that. So that, that's what we do. Okay. Okay. So, Mark, I really want to touch on, I really want to highlight that you said that you had a failed business and you speak so confidently to that. So let's touch on that really quick, because a lot of people don't like to talk about their failures. Why do you think the business failed? And do you think that if you would have persisted maybe for 12 months rather than nine months, it would have succeeded? Or or what, what was the cutoff point that you knew that, hey, let me cut my losses now and either start something new? Or did that point not come because your partners approached you by the nine month mark? How did it all play out? The reason it failed was I just didn't know what I was doing, ultimately. Didn't know what I was doing. I was young. I was looking at what other people were doing in my space and trying to emulate what they were doing. Now, the problem was that I'd not seen the work that went on for the first five years of their business. So I was doing it wrong. I was doing it all so very, very wrong. And it was just silly of me to do it like that. You know, I didn't, I didn't look at how I could best apply myself and apply my skills to what the customers and what the clients needed. And so I was just trying to copy. That's the reason. If I'd have persisted for months, it'd have gone wrong even more. You know, I'd have lost even more money. So I stopped, but did a bit of refactoring. And it was always my intent to work completely on my own and, you know, with my own team eventually. It just so happened that having the chat with Don and Mark catalyzed that a little bit quicker. And ultimately, we set up the same type of business, but we did so in a very different way. We did so understanding what we were trying to achieve and what we were trying to deliver. That was the big difference. That's amazing. That's amazing. Okay, Mark. Well, as we know, you are a force to be reckoned with in the online marketing space. So really quickly, just for our new listeners or listeners who may not maybe be familiar with, with online marketing or affiliate marketing and kind of creating your avatar, what, what is online marketing? And is there, you know, is there still money to be made in that market? And how do you see that market in the next like, three to five years? Yeah, there's definitely still money to be made. And, and, and to be really clear on where I focus, my, my focus with podcast websites is building a product for podcasters. And the way that I treat myself as an online marketer is I'm very much a content creator and a content marketer. So I'm not an SEO expert. Yes, I've done that in the past, but I'm not an expert. I'm not, a, I'm not a social media marketing expert, although I do implement that for my own business. I'm very clearly focused on content and content marketing and i think that's where the next five six years of, of, of online marketing is, is going to continue to go it's all about the story it's all about your brand story your personal story it's all about creating content that supports your users goals or your audience's goals you know it's basically you being very transparent and honest you know if you sell a car it's not always anymore about selling the benefits of that car it's about supporting the goals of your audience which may be 
to achieve that road trip, that once-in-a-lifetime road trip, or to have more comfort for your family. You know, it, creating content that supports that is very much where it's at. So, yeah, that's, to be really clear, that's where I focus on. And it is about understanding your avatar, you know, really digging deep and understanding. And not only the one avatar, you know, many businesses, podcast websites has a couple of different avatars. It's very much about understanding what different types of people will engage with your business and understanding what their motivations are, their goals, the circumstances, the socioeconomic status, you know, life stage, all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And creating content that really, really just helps and supports them and that. To me, that's just, that just is marketing these days. You know, I don't think there's a distinction anymore between content marketing and marketing. I think content marketing is marketing. Yeah. Mark, really quick for our listeners who don't know, let's maybe explain to them an avatar. What is an avatar? And if I'm brand new and I'm looking to, let's, you know, let's use podcast for an example. If I'm brand new and I'm looking to start a podcast, how do I know what my avatar is and how to go about creating an avatar if I don't have one. So your avatar is basically a, a fictional representation of the person who is most likely to do business with you and or your ideal customer. So I've got a few different avatars for my businesses. I've got three or four variations of it for podcast websites. I've got one very specific for excellence expected. And basically you, you, you build up this picture of your ideal person so that it means that when you're talking or when you're blogging or when you're podcasting or creating products or services, you can be very clear in saying we are creating for this person or this type of person. So to give you an example, you know, the excellence expected avatar is a guy called Scott. He's 34 years old. He's working a current nine to five job and he wants to branch out on his own. He's tech savvy. He's never built a website, but he understands how websites work. He listens to podcasts, he reads blog posts in his spare time on his way to work, in the gym, walking the dog. He struggles taking action, though. That's the biggest problem. So he needs straight talking, cut through the noise, do this thing next. And that's the avatar, in a nutshell, for excellence expected. You know, and he's the person that I'm talking to with the 7 Minute Mentor podcast, with the new season of the podcast that I put out, with the blogs that I put out there. Scott is the person that I'm talking to, because all of these things will help someone in his position. Yep. And I think it's important to point out that an avatar is, is to help you as the, the content creator or the business owner focus in and hone in on what exactly you need to deliver to create what it is that your avatar is looking for so that you don't go off track. You know, for me, for instance, my avatar, especially for the podcast, are people who are looking to be inspired, maybe corporate workers who are looking to be, to be inspired. And my avatar doesn't have a name, but I'm, I'm as detailed as you when it comes to who my avatar is, where my avatar is located. You know, my avatar does work a nine to five job and my avatar is looking to create passive streams of income. My avatar is looking to invest in alternative investment vehicles like real estate. My avatar is looking to hone in on their, on their entrepreneurial mindset and power through the minutia because it's very hard to be an entrepreneur. So I like that you touched on that a lot. Mark, really quick, let's kind of talk about your milestone. You've, you've hit your milestone quite a few years back, and I want to know kind of exactly the time frame and what businesses were established at the time that you hit your milestone. Your milestone is 1 million pounds in revenue. So let's, let's kind of work our way up, you know, to the last few moments of that. How and when did you hit that? When did you realize that that was, that that, you know, that had been achieved? It wasn't until a reasonable amount of time after the fact. And, you know, very, very specifically on this, this is very much 
you know, cumulative £1 million earned. You know, and as I said, that did happen a good few years ago now. And the reason for that, and the reason that I use that as the milestone, is that when you come from somewhere like I do, it's very difficult to understand that you can earn a million pounds. And you can you can do that, you know, and it's very interesting to see that you've invoiced or billed a million pounds or you've had a million pounds profit or people just don't believe that that's possible in in the area that I come from and specifically the, the very tight location that I come from. And for me, that was, yes, everyone's money motivated. If you say you're not money motivated, lying because you've got bills to pay. Sure, it might not be the number one motivator. It might be value or fulfillment or whatever, but ultimately you've got to earn money. So everyone's money motivated. And for me, it's not the number one driver, but it's a significant driver. And for me to be able to look back and say, wow, all those people that said you can't really do this or that you should get a job, you should stay the corporate life, you should work in a factory, you should just get enough to pay the bills and just live an all right life. To be able to look at that figure and say, right, wow, okay, someone has paid me a million pounds for the knowledge that I have given or for the value that I've given or for the products that I've created or whatever. It's a proud moment because it's something that we can all hold on to. It's something that we can see and say, wow, look, when I'm a 15-year-old kid and everyone's saying you can't do that, when I look back and say, there's a million pounds there that someone's given me because they believe in me. That's a massive, massive, massive deal, you know? And it's not just a million pounds. It's 100 grand. It's 50 grand. It's 10 grand. It's, it's your first 100 pounds in business. Someone is giving you that because they believe in you. So you've got to be proud of that and you've got to hold on to that. Yeah, Mark, that's beautiful. I'm going to, I'm going to have to, I think I'm going to have to take that little snippet and use that as, as our nugget in the beginning of the show. I think that was amazing. Mark, I know we're, we're pressed for time and you're a very busy person and I kind of want to get into excellence expected and kind of a little bit more of your coaching and you know what you do. So if you'll allow me to, can we kind of get into that a little bit or, or are you kind of pressed for time? No, we're good. Yeah, we can get into that for a few, of course. Okay. Okay, cool, cool, cool. So I know that you've had the pleasure with working with JLD, John Lee Dumas, the podcaster on the infamous Entrepreneur on Fire. How did that come about? How did that relationship come about? Yeah, it's a good question, actually. So I was a guest on EO Fire and, you know, spoke to John and, and, and created a, a nice relationship with John. We get along. We've got similar ideals, similar values. And, and, you know, I was just starting my podcast at the time. And, you know, owning a digital agency, it's easy for me to build websites, but putting everything together was for me still quite interesting and challenging. So I just thought, wait a second, we can probably do something a little bit better for people here. So I spoke to John and said, listen, man, what about if we create an integrated service, an all-in-one WordPress platform that's built just for podcasters that integrates media hosting, download stats, and, you know, everything else that you need? Uh, and he said, yeah, let's give it a go. Yeah, I recognized the problem, and, and he just said, yeah, let's, let's give it a whirl. And we just said... We just said, let's run a beta. Let's really go deep on this and really validate it. So we didn't build anything. We did a webinar and we said, look, if you sign up as a founding member, we'll give it you at a, a ridiculous rate. But you've got to believe in this product when we when we build it and when we launch it. So we actually validated it on a webinar. And, you know, we had 120 paying customers before we even had a product. Wow. And, yeah, that's that's broadly speaking how we started working together. That's risky. That sounds like vintage Mark. Let's run with it and figure it out later. <laughs> yeah, it's vintage Mark. It's vintage John, to be honest. We're, we're, that's why we get along. <laughs> that's amazing. How did you recognize the problem? How did you recognize the need? Just because I was going through it. Genuinely. You know, I was, I was going through it. 
and you know, I'd, I'd built my podcast, you know, owning Hacksaw and, and doing that with the rest of the lads. Surely it was it was easy for us to build this website and to integrate a podcast, but it wasn't that easy. It really wasn't that easy. So it was it was it was challenging from our perspective to be able to say, well, why? If there's all these podcasters that want to really get their voice out there, why have they got to go through all this? Like, why should they have to learn? to build a website and yeah sure look you could just have a media host and submit your feed through a media host and just you know not really have a website you can have some little pages associated kind of with your podcast but what happens in a year's time when you want to build this thing and you want to you want to grow the podcast or you want to turn it into a membership or an e-commerce site or whatever it just baffled me that there was nothing there so we yeah we just we just dove into doing it that's amazing. That's amazing. And, and I love podcast websites. I, I personally use you guys. So, so highly recommended and kind of switching gears a little bit. Again, I want to talk about excellence expected. When did excellence expected start and what was the need that you saw in that area? Yeah. So that, that was really my original business podcast where I thought to myself, I'll just help people in business via a podcast. So I set that up in 2014 and it became just a podcast. Literally, that's all it was, just a podcast. And then since then, I've basically listened to the audience. I've listened to what they want from me, what they – really how they function, how they focus as, as new entrepreneurs and recognize there was a need to dig in to what new entrepreneurs need in the first, what, two years of business. And it really is to cut through the noise. It really is to – give some straight talking advice and you know it's, it's developed into i've got the podcast accelerator which is my coaching program for podcasters i've got my movement the excellence expected movement which is my slack community which allows people to share and validate ideas and get feedback and just basically grow in a really safe closed environment with vetted people you know we've got the blog that publishes every couple of weeks we've got the seven minute mentor podcast we've got free coaching friday which runs every like it's just turned into this big brand you know and i didn't expect it it's it's just from listening to people really hey mark you have to expect it it's excellence expected (laughs) (laughs) that is true do you know where the name came from actually the name came from a quote by steve jobs where he says people aren't used to working in an environment where excellence is expected ah steve jobs that's that's a great man to take a quote from so i like it (laughs) absolutely Okay. So that's how excellence expected became what it is today. So let's say I'm, I'm a, I'm a new entrepreneur. I'm a new business owner. Let's say I haven't even gotten started. What, I guess, you know, going back to avatars, what's your focus? Who are the people that you're targeting? Are these people who have just started their business and they're trying to pick up steam? Are these people who are looking to start a business or maybe venture out and be an entrepreneur and they have no idea which direction to go? Are these people a couple years in and they just need to figure out how to scale who's your target market and and maybe um maybe pull out a success story from your goodie bag from what you've taken one of your best clients to you know from from what they were back then and what what they're doing now yeah no it's a really good question so basically my my focus is helping people in the first couple of years something new whether that is making entrepreneurship accessible to people that didn't believe it was accessible to them or maybe you're a business owner who wants to diversify and create something new like a product or a service or you're a startup founder it's basically the first two years of something new that's where i help people because it's, it's all about doing things in the right way so that's where i focus the first few years of, of something fresh 
And yeah, I mean, we, we, we help all sorts of people. We've, in the podcast Accelerator, we've got people like Cam Capriotto from Remarkable Results, who, you know, we've, we've, we've gone through and, and taken what was just a podcast and expanded it into a big brand that's now got six-figure sponsorship and has, you know, now negotiating his second almost six-figure sponsorship deal and building our speaking career. Right through to people like Rick Clemens, who's the, the originally the coming out coach and, you know, really tight into a niche and we're helping develop that brand and turn it into something wider, you know, where we can start to speak at colleges and corporates. And it, it really is helping people build the brand around themselves as well. We do a lot of that work. So just so much success in there. We've got Marco and Louisa from the Harmonious Clan who six months has had nothing you know, we've developed a brand helping sensitive Chinese children. We've got three seasons of a podcast. We've got lead magnets. We've got a book. We've got online courses. We've got a membership coming. You know, this is all in six months. So, yeah, that's that's generally what we do with people. It's, it really is fun. It's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's, it sounds like it. I'm getting excited just, just kind of hearing you talk about it. So, you know, I'm brand new and I come to you. I'm like, hey, Mark, this is what I have going on. I just started a podcast. And I'm looking to grow it, or I just started a, an online business, whatever that business may be, and I'm looking to grow it. What are your typical, and we don't have to kind of get into it, but just just kind of in, in the beginning, what are your typical first steps that you have most of your clients do or partake in? So you've got to figure out what problem you're solving and whether that problem really exists. You know, we can all get passionate about a solution, but to quote, to quote a friend of mine, Ash Moria from, from Lean Start, it's not about loving the solution, it's about loving the problem and then finding a solution that is right for the audience. So ultimately, you've got to validate whether the problem exists. So I always encourage people to go out and have customer conversations, go out and have audience conversations. And, you know, let's say that you are creating Evernote, the, the founders of Evernote, and you've got to validate the problem exists. So you go out and you converse with people and you say to them, tell me, how do you take notes? How do you collate information? How do you pull everything together? You know, and then you validate that the idea that you've got is worthwhile. So you've got to ultimately discover whether the problem that you believe is there really exists. And that is always the first thing that we do. Always the first thing that we do. Okay. Hey, Mark, before we move on to our last segment of the show, our rapid last four Q&A questions, let's talk about a challenge that you've had to overcome or maybe one of the lowest points in your life and how you were able to turn that around and make a success out of it. I think the biggest challenge is that what I mentioned earlier on, that original business where I had I had really gone through this process of, of creating a business that, that wasn't going to work based on the fact that I had based it on what other people were doing. And that, for me, was a real big mistake. And that, that, that was the biggest challenge, was allowing yourself to be yourself, allowing yourself to be naturally you, sell things in your own way, develop products in your own way, develop things in your own way that people want to buy without looking over the fence that's the biggest challenge and the you know ultimately that has resulted in excellence expected being very much my own voice i talk about dc comics i talk about my dog i talk about i put a post out yesterday that i, I wrote very quickly called i'm really struggling and here's how i'm fixing it and I, it was a very candid open post around productivity that i'm struggling with at the minute and i was really personal i was really deep and personal on it and that was the biggest challenge was that the first business was not based on me it was based on what i thought people wanted me to be and you know the biggest outcome from changing that was the fact that you have sustainable businesses because you are ultimately the center of them so that's the, that was one of the biggest learning points for me without a shadow of a doubt one of the biggest learning points 
It's funny. You have so many things going. I feel like you're kind of like the puppet master and you have all these businesses going. So, so I'm curious as to how, you know, you're able to carve out this time and still be able to create content rather than working, you know, working on the business. You're still, you're still putting out, you know, you're still putting out content, personal content, and you're sitting down and, and, and you're creating it and you're, and you're sharing with your audience. So I just want to quickly walk through maybe, maybe a day in the life of Mark Asquith and, and, and start from, from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed. What are some of your daily routines and habits? And, you know, how, you know, do you carve out time for, for writing and for journaling and things like that? And how, how do you attribute or how have your daily routines attributed to your success? Yeah. I mean, I struggle with daily routines. I really do. I really struggle sticking to one. I've got, I've got to, I like to be invigorated. So generally speaking, you know, a day in the life is I get up and I'll, I'll just down a pint of water and, and the vitamins and everything that I sort out. But then it becomes about get some exercise in. So I'll go to the gym, do some heavy weights at about 6.30, 7am and then follow that up with some, some high intensity boxing. So I generally do 15 minutes to batter style training on the boxing. That gets my brain energized. It gets me working. It gets me feeling like I'm really achieving something. It really puts me in that, that right frame of mind to take on the day. And then it becomes about just fueling up. So I go and eat and get off to the studio. And then each day is different. I, I tend to do my important stuff on a morning. So I'll do the impactful work on a morning insofar as, okay, here are the important tasks that move the needle. You know, So if you're a Gary Keller fan, I do the one thing in a morning. And then my afternoons are very much around the interesting things. So I do podcast interviews i'll do connecting with podcast websites members i'll do the one-to-one calls i'll do writing i'll do recording i'll do video tutorials i'll do the stuff that's the interesting stuff and then i try and wrap up about 5 five thirty, and generally get a bit more exercising go on the bike or play some guitar or i've just started a few new little things like the piano just pick that back up so i'll go out and do that and then you know try and chill out for the evening do some fun stuff because you know you can't work can't work all the time Nice, nice, nice. How many employees do you have currently in your various businesses? There are five, six, seven, eight, nine, about 21. Yep, yep. Ish. Okay, okay. The best real estate investing advice ever show is literally the only daily podcast that I subscribe to. And now I'm prescribing for you. The world's longest running daily real estate podcast. That's unprecedented. Visit JoeFearless.com slash show for the back catalog. Enjoy. You are listening to the Before the Millions. Before the Millions. Before the Millions. Before the Millions. Before the Millions podcast. What is your favorite Before the Millions book? Hmm. I think recently the Branson book is really getting me going, Losing My Virginity. I don't know if you read that. That gets me going at the minute. I love hearing about new books. Okay. I have to add that to my list. What is it about? It's Richard Branson's biography up until about the mid-90s. It's well worth a read. It's really going really to invigorate you. Okay. What were the sacrifices you knew you had to make before the millions to get to where you are today? Yeah. So 2004, I locked myself away to learn how to build websites and I, you know, sacrificed a year of my life of, of socializing and, you know, really the heavy stuff that you do in your early twenties. But I understood that that was fine because I'd learned a skill that would, would set me up and it did. So you, you, you've got to, you've got to sacrifice that stuff 
in the early days and certainly balance it out, definitely. Do you regret that decision? <laughs> no, not in the not slightest. That's what I thought. <laughs> okay. Who was, <laughs> who was essential to your growth before the millions and why? Yeah, I think that's got to be Mark and, and Don and, and Dan and Kai, my business partners in, in Hacksaw. You know, those guys have, have always been around and, and Don in particular and, and Mark in the earlier days and then Dan and Kai a little bit later. You know, they allow you the latitude to grow and breathe as a person whilst keeping you on track. So I'm very grateful for that. Okay. Why do you think so many of us are stuck before the millions, even though we have every intention on getting to the millions? We're scared of being bold. We're scared of failing or being judged by people who have never done it. The people who have done it and have succeeded, they're never going to judge you because they've been through this. People that are not willing to take the risks and that are never going to achieve anything, they're the ones that are going to judge you. And we're scared of being judged by them. Forget that. Here you have it. You've heard it from the man himself. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Mark, it's been amazing to have you on the show You've shared tons of great insight, and I've gotten tons of value from it. I know our listeners have as well. Hey, if the listeners want to get a hold of you, or if they want to maybe look into some of your products, how can they do that? Well, the easiest thing, actually, the best thing that I'd advise is that come and join one of the free coaching sessions that I do on a Friday. I do them at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern every single Friday, and it's just an hour of my time doing free coaching. So you can join that, excellence-expected.com free coaching so come and join in and you can see that real person and we can have a chat okay how does that work is that like a, a group coaching call yeah so you can submit questions in advance we do it on facebook live you can submit questions in advance that i'll pick up or you can hop on and ask them live but yeah pretty much group coaching we help a lot of people on that overcome a lot of problems on it so it's a really really good session and we've got a great community of people that join in as well so it's not just me that you're going to get the help from it it really does work Sweet. Okay. Well, Mark, it's been a pleasure, as I've said, and hopefully we'll see you around next time. Again, thank you for being on the show, and we'll see you soon. Absolutely, man. Thank you. You're a great host. You've got a lovely show, so thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Another great episode. It was really inspiring, and we want to thank Mark Asquith again for for interviewing with us and and just giving back some of the gems that, that he's picked up along the way. One thing I do want to say is that I don't think I've mentioned this on any show before this, but we do have show notes. We do have show notes and we've had show notes for every single episode. So if there is a book or a website or just a topic that we're discussing and you'd like to know more about it, no need to take notes and get into a car accident if you're driving, no need to try to remember or, you know, things of that nature. Like we have everything laid out for you on our website at beforethemillions.com. So for this episode, if you'd like to visit the show notes for this episode, you would visit beforethemillions.com slash episode eight. Again, we have show notes and links to everything that we discuss on every single episode on the website. I want to give a shout out to this week's five star ratings and reviews. We have Etam John. We have Kevin and Max. Let's read what Kevin and Max said. Beret and the Before the Millions team selects great guests and shares valuable information on varying topics. Finance and investing is a foreign language to me, so I appreciate BTM for making it make sense for me. Each week's episode is just a resource as rich as the previous. Add Before the Millions to your favorites. Love that. Special shout out to Sam, James99, Reed50, EOGB, Erica Janae, Frederick Ohen, Urban Gentleman, Hive Life 280, 
Gavinrick, Lennonbar, Jacko9, Old School, Old School said, First of all, my 27-year-old daughter told me about this podcast series and asked what I thought. As I listened, I was overwhelmed at how incredibly relevant the dialogue is and how people of any age can learn something. Continue providing a great service. People are listening. Eric. Thank you, Eric. Again, special thanks to David Tierley, Matthew Gray, Javis Nadia, and last but not least, Luke Gillis. Thank you all for your five-star reviews. You are the reason why we are able to produce such amazing content each and every week. I leave you with this. Most people come to me and ask, what should they start investing in? And my number one answer before all else may surprise you. It's not insurance, which is a very good asset class. It's not real estate, which is my favorite asset class. It's not even the stock market. The number one thing I believe all investors should start investing in when they first start investing is themselves. Invest in yourself. That makes way for the highest ROI that you can achieve. So get out there and start investing. We'll see you next week. Yeah, you.